Hello, I am Sarah Ruffi, the Woman Warrior Lawyer, and today it is my privilege and honor to welcome Kathleen L. as my guest. Kathleen, introduce yourself, please. Oh, wow, Sarah, I thought you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. I'm so excited to be here with a soul sister. Um, I am a loss expert and I assist people in helping them move through their, their loss, whether it's a divorce, a loss of a job or the loss of a loved one. And I do that because in 2010, my son actually took his life and he was angry at me and wrote a note saying he didn't want me at his service. Um, so that shattered me and I've been on a journey of my own for over 11 years now. And um, now I get to pay it forward to assist other people through their journey based on what I've learned, all the healing modalities I've experienced. And I've put together what's called the allergy system. So where what took me 11 years will take people six months to a year to be able to move through their journey. So I'm really excited about that. Well, and it's interesting that you talk about your journey or other people's journey with your allergy system, because today we're going to talk about your journey and what better person to introduce yourself, Kathleen, nothing like throwing you under the bus right away, is you. <laughs> so first off, how did you come up with allergy system? So allergy system, um, it is L for my last name, E-L-L-E. -L -L -E, so it's the L. Um, and the LOG system is basically from eulogy. <laughs> Let's just put it out there um, that, you know, everyone needs to create a eulogy, whether you are experiencing a loss in your life right now or that you're planning for your own loss. There, there has to be a eulogy. And so why not create the two as an elegy? So where you actually create the healing process for you, whether you're here on earth or after the fact of someone else of losing someone. So I created the elegy system from the healing modalities. Why I call it elegy is because of those two things. It's just like elegy, el elegize your life, you know, create, create a journey of joy and love and peace and fulfillment in your life today at while you're living. So when you're, 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 in an energy form, you can continue to stay connected with, with others. So the elegy system, would it kind of go along with the whole idea or the, the um, quote of the best way to predict your future is to create it, that you're kind of writing your future as you're writing your story? Yeah, it, it's a little bit like that. But so I will say that most of my clients are those who have lost a loved one. And usually it's right now, especially right now with COVID and all that we've experienced of that right now, there's a lot of people who are going through sudden unexpected loss. And so that creates a very complicated grief journey. And so the elegy system is to assist them in, in um, breaking the myths of what grief is about knowing that they can actually heal through it and creating the ability to move through the trauma of the loss itself and the trauma that that's been misidentified or not identified throughout the, their life. So we go through traumatic events throughout our entire life. You know, there are events in our life, every single one of us 
has an event in our life that's affected us severely. Every single one of us. It's on different scales, but every single one of us has experienced things that didn't feel very good to us. And from my experience as a child, you know, I experienced sexual, physical, and emotional abuse before I was at the age of five. So I, I understand what it's like to have that early childhood trauma. And from zero to eight years old, we create programs in our bodies. So our subconscious response to our life based on what we experience as children. And so those traumatic events created programs within me of unworthiness, unlovable, um, having to prove myself. There's all kinds of things that could come from that. And so when Logan transitioned, I, I actually, it broke down every wall I protected myself with, you know? And so based on those experiences as a child, I had to keep myself safe. So I built walls around my heart to where I was seeking on the outside to be approved of, to be loved, to be cared for, to be seen, to be accepted, to be good enough. And really all along based on my healing journey and the healing modalities that I used for myself and I used for my clients, I now see that everything I was seeking on the outside was really on the inside, which is my own light, my own love, my own connection to source and my ability to connect with my, my loved one. You know, I saw so much Sarah on the outside that I belong to as many churches as I've been married. And that's three. So let's just put it out there. <laughs> I mean, I look for religion to accept me. I, I, I was constantly seeking to be seen, to be approved up, to be, to be worthy enough. And no matter how, how much I climbed the ladder, no matter how well I did, you know, no matter what I did, it was never enough when I got there. I always had to keep doing more from my perspective until Logan died and, or Logan's physical presence no longer was here. And that shattered me completely open. I had to pick up those pieces of my life and put them together again in a very, very different way because you're not the same person from the time that you hear that news, the second before you hear that news to the second you hear it, you're no longer that same person. You have to incorporate that in your journey of life, like every other event that you have. And you get to choose how you want to do that. We always have the right to choose or the opportunity to choose, even if we may not realize it. Absolutely. So I know, I know your story about how you learned about Logan's passing and We'll get into we'll get into that if that's okay. When you talked about um, your feelings and how you were never enough, you were unworthy. Was it Logan's decision that day in 2010 that was your wake up call, or was it something on your journey afterwards that all of a sudden you realized that? hey, it's no amount of acceptance or involvement or accolades on the outside are going to heal what's broken on the inside. Only I can do that. Yeah. Uh, when Logan transitioned, I was completely shattered. Like there was nothing mattered to me anymore. You, um, Logan and Ashley, my children's dad and I 
um, completed our marriage when they were five and six years old. So Logan was 19 when he, when he transitioned and my, my daughter was 20. And so for the majority of our lives, we were all together. The three of us, it was just the three of us. And then Ashley was in college when he took his life. So when Logan transitioned, I, I crippled. Like I really, I, I really collapsed and um, I isolated myself. I really just piled on the shame and the self-blame because you know, when Logan transitioned, I was a CEO and lobbyist of the largest commercial construction association in the state of Vermont. I had served for the governor. I had been elected as a, as a, a legislator. I went to college as, as an adult when I was working for the governor. So I had on the outside all this appearance that I had my shit together. <laughs> Hope I could say that word, but I just did. So um, you certainly can. It's a free form. First yeah. Amendment still applies for me. <laughs> and so um, I just had such self shame and self blame around Logan's suicide. Is that how could I not have saved my son? And so it was not at that moment that I that that I realized that I still was carrying past traumas. It really took a number of years for me to go through cognitive thought therapy, to do energy healing, to do ayahuasca ceremonies, to um, really invest in my own healing journey, to realize just the impact of, and my self-development, you know, like all of the experiences, you know, we both went through Jack's program, you know, the Canfield methodology, success principles. And all of those experiences coming together is what started to open my eyes on how past trauma or past stories, the limiting stories that I still carried in my brain was limiting my ability to succeed in helping others. I mean, when I was on the stage with Jack, that one with uh, What Are You Hiding? Um, exercise that we did with um, the Canfield organization was one of the biggest eye-openers I think that I had had up to that point. What led to your your aha moment and how did that come well how was that so pivotal that you know what was it about that situation that really propelled you farther than any other experience to that point. I think at that moment, I realized that we're all hiding something because we, we hide, hide in shame. We're all, all of us have something that we haven't told someone else. And in this particular exercise, it's much longer than it, it is in my book, Shattered Together, or here, you know, like it's, it's a much longer process, but you know, the, the process is that Jack has you write down a hundred things that you haven't told someone, you know, like you might've told one person, but you hadn't told six others, you know, so he has you write down a hundred things. And then the next night, you know, there's another lesson, there's another teaching from him. And then he says, okay, so now narrow it down to the top 20 things that you haven't told someone. And this is all about teaching you about what you're hiding inside you, what, how it's affecting your physical, emotional, mental health. And then the third day or the fourth day, whatever day it was, we 
there was another lesson, another teaching, and he breaks it down. So where there's, you share one thing that's on your list that you haven't told anybody with four people. And then you break it down to sharing it with one person. And then ultimately he offered for us to get up on the stage and share with a room full of 150 people. That's including the assistants and the helpers and everyone about 150. It felt like 150, if not, <laughs> um, and um, there were just remarkable stories other people were sharing that I don't feel is ethical to share here. And all I could think of, wow, if they can get up on stage and share their story, then I can too. And before I even raised my hand halfway to, you know, he asked one more time and my hand was shaking and I got it halfway up and I was like, oh no, I don't really wanna do this. And Jack goes, Kathleen, I'm like, shit. <laughs> and so you know as I was walking to the stage my body started shaking I was sweating I was crying I I couldn't even get the words out and even now I can go back to that moment of actually freeing myself of the thought I had so when I was pregnant for Logan um when I found out I was pregnant for Logan my husband at the time his dad um, hadn't talked to me for two weeks, like wouldn't respond to me, wouldn't nothing, wouldn't answer a question, nothing for two weeks. And then I found out that I was pregnant and I was like, I don't want to be pregnant because I didn't want, I just, who wants to bring a child into an environment like that? And this is no fault of him. And I'm not, this is not about criticizing uh, Logan and Ashley's dad at all. That's just our relationship didn't have great communication skills. Let's just put it that way. And um, then I find out that I miscarried and I was happy about miscarrying. And then, and I hadn't told anybody this, and this is what, eight years after Logan transitioned. So that's 25 years. 20, say for 25 years, I had not told anybody this story. And then I found out that I miscarried and I was happy about it. But then the doctor called and said, you're still pregnant. So Logan was a twin and I only miscarried his twin. I didn't miscarry Logan and I wasn't happy. You know, I wasn't ecstatic about it. And so when Logan came into this world, he had that energy and then he had his cord wrapped around his neck twice. Like I, he almost died at birth and then he had projectile vomiting and he had all of these challenges, even, you know, throughout most of his life, his life journey wasn't a smooth sailing journey for him. And so I held this guilt inside me and this shame inside me that, and I do believe this to be true. Our energy is connected in all ways. Mm -hmm. And I, believe that more now than ever. And all I could think of was I'm the one who caused my son to think that he shouldn't be on this earth today. Like it That's was all my book. fault. Yeah, it was all my fault. I couldn't, you know, like, and so I shared that story on the stage. And of course, I don't know how anybody could understand me because I was crying. <laughs> it was really pretty intense for me. And when I was done the, the story, Jack says, can I ask a question? Nope. Sure. <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, like I was a little afraid. He goes, did you love him when he came, when you had him? 
I'm like, oh my gosh, of course I did. And I, you know, he was the happiest in my arms and he'd wrap his little fingers around my one finger and he'd look up at me and it like, there was like this piece. And then there was a, that aha, like, oh my gosh, he knew how much I loved him. He knows how much I love him today. And all for 25 years, I beat myself up over a creation that didn't really happen. You know, like it was part of his energy, but it was not all of it. Like there were many other ways that I showed him how much I loved him. So we, when we suffer alone, so that's why I call, that's why I created Elegy really. When we suffer alone, when we hide in shame, when we isolate ourselves, we're only beating ourselves up even more. And there was another part of that exercise. I don't know if you remember Sarah, but Jack had us all line up on one side of the room. And then he would start listing off things that most people would feel shame of. Anybody who's had an abortion or a miscarriage, walk across the room, turn around and look at your colleagues. Anybody who has experienced sexual abuse or have been an abuser, walk across this room, turn around and look at. So he, all of these different questions and out of all the questions, me and one other guy were the winners of how many times you get to walk, walk across the path. <laughs> you can look at it whatever way you want. Not one time did anybody walk across the room by themselves. That's true. Not one time. So the, the, the lesson in that, in that exercise was profound for me in the sense that what we're all hiding and carrying shame and self-blame and judgment of self is that your neighbor is going through something either the same, something similar or something worse. So why, why suffer alone and create more pain upon more pain? Of, you know, why continue to re-victimize yourself over and over and over again? Let it move through it and let it be. Well, and I think the other part of that is what can we learn from those experiences? Because the experience, it is what it is. And what can we learn and take away from that? And your experience with Jack simply asking one simple question mm -hmm. can completely annihilate our, our long held beliefs. And when our story, our limiting our story. story, all of a sudden you realize I have gotten myself so worked up for so long for what? Well, yeah. And, you know, even I'm going to go all the way back to when my father, my birth father shot at us as children, you know, uh, I created a story, either three or four, I think it's three years old, but I could have been four years old. My father, my birth father came home. He was drunk as could be. He and my mother got in this huge fight, physical, verbal, huge fight. And he basically said, I'm putting an end to this. Basically, I'm going, you know, I'll just get rid of all of you. And so he goes upstairs to grab his gun. My mother brings us into the bathroom. So my sister's three years older than I am. So my mom at this time, now remember I was three years old, my mom put her and she and my sister in the bathtub and then she put me between the toilet and the, and the wall. And at that moment, as three years old, as a three-year-old, the story I told myself was, what about me? I'm not worthy of being protected. I'm not lovable. Like 
the, like all of these stories of just unworthiness because I was alone. I was abandoned. I was, you know, the story that was created in that moment. And, and it makes sense as a three-year-old that you're separated from your mom and your sister and your father shooting it through the door. But in then, reality, you, know, you were in the safest spot in the room. For me, I was in the safest spot because there wasn't room in the bathtub for me, you know? So through the healing modalities that I've experienced and I use in my practice today, I helped, I was able to go back and see a bigger story, to see more to the story than what, what was programmed in my head for 40 some odd years. That was a program in my head. And that's why I continue to re-victimize myself over and over and over again with relationships that weren't right for me, with, you know, churches that weren't right for me, with whatever decisions I made. Um, Yeah, so it is, it's, we, there's more to the story than you think there is. There always is. In every story in every story. Even the person who you think is a jerk down the street, there's more to the story than you think there is. Because more than likely, if they're being a jerk, then what's occurred in their life to be um, acting out in the way they are today? You know, what's occurred in their life? So you're able to hold more compassion and just live in love and compassion once you move through these limiting beliefs and these blocks and your, and your, you know, the trauma that's stored in your body and you move through those and you just create so much more space for what truly is. And that is love. So as a, as a child who went through that horrific experience mm-hmm. and I'm going to project a little bit, I would presume that that wasn't a first time that your parents got into an altercation. Probably the first time your dad decided to end it all, but it probably wasn't the happy loving home that one would like. So clearly from that point, you've been a fighter because you had to be. So how did that then follow through in your in your growing up years to then when you're done with high school decide what you want to what you want to do how did how did those events or that those formative years play a role later on as you're becoming an adult through one of the altercations that you know my parents were in i you know i was actually one that froze so so everyone reacts to um, chaos and turmoil in their life differently. Some people freeze, some people fight, they come out attacking and some people freeze, fight and some people run, you know? Um, and for me, I was one that froze. Like I, I, I would freeze and not move. And in one of those times, I remember this, this, the, these words coming to me saying, there is more to life than this. There is more to life than this as a very young child. And I just, I, I, that's what drove me. That's what, there must've been something inside me. Like now I look back and I know how intuitively connected I am and how I'm able to, I know 
that I had a guide there saying, there's something more to life than this. So hold on, you know, just hold on. And there was something always driving me, Sarah's like, if that, that cannot be all there is. And, you know, growing up with not a lot of money and in, you know, I always had clothes that never really looked good. You know, I didn't have the style. I had big buck teeth. I had um, hunchback shoulders. I had a horrible hairstyle, um, like horrible. I had acne all over, you know, so I was not the popular girl in school. I wasn't the, um, the, the one that was leading the way, you know, I, I, I was, had an internal fight within me to say, I'm not less than, and I'll prove it to all of you. So what that did to did for me was this drive to prove it to the world that I am worthy, that I am, you know, valuable, that I am lovable, that I need to prove to the world that I can do all this, you know? I mean, by the time I was 29, I was elected for a legislative office. I was a legislator and I didn't have a college degree. And when I decided to run to be a legislator, I hadn't, I didn't even know what party I belonged to. I had to read the platforms to determine which party I actually belonged to. And I was running against this well-educated, very well-connected woman who had had the resources and the ability to speak publicly. She was well-spoken. And I had to get up and write and say a speech to like a hundred people in this room. I was, it was horrific. I was, I blacked out. I was sweating. I was shaking. Even the opposite party felt sorry for me when, when I was doing my speech, because clearly she was very fluid and she was uh, well-spoken and educated. She was totally had her crap together. And I'm just like saying this, I don't even know what I said because I was just blacked out. My point is, and I still won because I think people connected with me about like, I was authentic and true and raw. And I also was just driven. I was just driven and, and none of it ever satisfied me. I have to say, like it never really, I never really hit the satisfaction button. If that makes sense. It does. And that leads me to a couple of questions. Number one, you were trying to prove it to the world that you could do it to the world, but in reality, you were trying to prove it to yourself exactly. through that world acceptance. And number two, what was it that was your, like your breaking point to decide I'm going to run for the legislature? Oh boy. Long story there. So, um, I know <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I, I forget your first question already, Sarah, well, the first um, one was about proving it to the world in reality was proving it to yourself. Yeah. You know, every time we lash out at someone, every time that we create judgment, every time we have, um, so we think someone else is unworthy, we're really, there's something inside us, you know, there's something inside us that's feeling that we're off, that there's something wrong with us. And what was years of healing, energy healing, um, of you know, intensive healing that got me to the place of like, oh, wow, 
all this time I've had this light inside me and I'm worthy. And so of course I've been judging others and myself because, and then others are judging me because that's what I'm reflecting back out to them. And so um, it's really nice to be aware of that now. So I don't want any listener to think that there is, um, there's an end point. You know, life is a journey until it's not, and there's still a journey going on and we don't even know it, you know, like it's a journey of healing, but what's beautiful as you move through the thicker layers of, of the traumas that really are directing your life, whether you know it or not, they're totally directing your life. Once you move through that, you're more aware when triggers are happening for you and you're more, it's, you can move through it much easier. It doesn't become this drama and this chaos and this turmoil. It just becomes, oh, interesting. I have a trigger about that. I wonder what that's about. It's just more of like questions I ask myself now. So um, it it's just recently in the last four years, I would say that I've really been able to own my worthiness, own my, um, and I would probably more so say in the last two years that I've been able to really become truly confident and centered with it, not, not performing, not creating this show, you know, like what's created safety for me in my life through most of my adult life was the ability to read people. Now I can see this today because I am sitting in my intuition and in my mediumship and my ability to channel. Um, and I look back and I'm like, oh, interesting. I could read what people needed or wanted and I could prevent a room going bad before it even started. Like I knew in the room that shit was going to go down unless something occurred. So I could, I could shift that. So I did that a lot. And now it's not about performing. It just is. I'm just here. I am here. All of me is messy and all of me is beautiful. You know, like, it's just like messy. It's just life is messy. And I don't mean beauty as on the external, I'm talking inside. Um, and so it's a journey, you know, that's a journey, but um, okay. So <laughs> I, can go, I can go on for hours. I know. Um, I've got so many stories, <laughs> just with curlier hair, <laughs> if you knew all the stories. But um, so when I decided to run to be a legislator, it wasn't really my decision. So my children's dad um, and I owned and operated a business, uh, several businesses. We owned a bowling alley. We owned a pool spa, uh, a pool and spa store. We owned, you know, um, some apartment buildings. So we had several things happening at the same time. And the legislature was considering and changing the school funding and placing it primarily on the backs of the businesses. And it was a substantial change. It wasn't a little change. It was a substantial change. So we decided we'd go to a local legislative breakfast. And so the legislators were sitting up front and then the community was there. And it was a, it was a pretty heated discussion happening, including all of us uh, participating in that. And one of the legislators was an older man. He had his arms crossed and his head down and his eyes closed. Now, if he wasn't sleeping, it certainly appeared to me as if he was. And if he wasn't sleeping, he was, it felt to me as if he was disengaged. So the appearance matters, your, your engagement matters because at that moment, my husband and I left 
the the breakfast thereafter and we were just livid that there was such dis felt like such i can't say there was because he could have been listening to all of it it just looked like he was disengaged the perception the perception was he was not engaged and my husband said you need to run to be a let you need to be a let you need to run against him i'm like what <laughs> Me? What do you mean? Yeah, I, I don't know anything about politics. I don't know anything about, you know, anything <laughs> when it came to politics. And he's like, you could win. You need to run against him. I'm like, I'm not running against him. He's well known. He had a position in the local, the town that we lived in that there's no way if I had run against him. First of all, I didn't even know what party he belonged to. That's how politically naive I was. And so long story short, we had convert I had a conversation with that legislator and just said, you know, I'm considering running um, and I won't make my decision until you let me know what your thoughts are. And he goes, so you would run for this party if I didn't run? And I'm like, well, that would be my plan, but I'm not going to make that decision until you actually let me know what your thoughts are. And he goes, let me call you back. So literally within minutes, he calls me back and says, my wife and I are on board. Um, I, I won't run again and I'll, I'll endorse you. So <laughs> I ran. Yes, I'm running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I ran and I won. And I didn't win on my own again. You know, like this stuff is all, has all occurred because I believe that we're being guided for this to happen. You know, there's the, like the polls, the, the feeling, the everything about that race was my opponent was going to win by a landslide. Like she had it down, like the local Senator had endorsed her there. The, I mean, she, there was a, a landslide for her, like everything about it. She was supposed to win and I won. And I say I won because I believe that that was the universe's um, direction to win because every single thing in my life has led me to be where I am today. I wouldn't be able to do, I wouldn't be a public speaker. I wouldn't be an author. I wouldn't be assisting people and moving through their grief had I not been able to experience all that I have experienced in my life as a legislator, I mean, I addressed the Brazilian parliament for women and minorities in government when I was a legislator. We, I named the landmark legislation of civil union. I sat on judiciaries for six years. No one, first of all, a female under the age of 29 with no college degree and in the minority party gets to sit on judiciary the first term. <laughs> and How I did. did that? What's that? How did that happen? I said I wanted to sit on judiciary because I wanted to advocate for domestic uh, rights, domestic violence, child child um, support, domestic abuse, all you know the things that mattered to me was in judiciary, and I wanted to sit on judiciary. So I said I want to sit on judiciary, and they're like, it's very unlikely you, especially being a freshman with no college education and a female from the opposite party, are you likely to get on judiciary? Well, what happened is they thought, you know, the, the um, majority party thought that I would be a token um, minority party um, on and judiciary. You would be a pushover who didn't say anything. 
I could be convinced otherwise and I could be easily manipulated. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I actually told the chair that one time and he would probably tell you the story too because I just saw him in a, at a service not too long ago, a year ago or two. Um, he, he convinced me to vote for something and I vote and you know, against my gut instinct, I voted for it. And I realized it wasn't the right thing. He convinced me a second time. And the second time I said, first time I, you know, like it's a learning lesson. Second time, my fault. If it happens a third time, I'm done. And it happened again. And I said, you just, you just, you just ended any trust I had in you and whatsoever. And I came out fighting like a bull. And that's when I said, you know, I started to say that I froze until, until I'd had enough. And then when I, when I've had enough, I came out fighting and there is no stopping me, you know, like I am coming out after you and I'm going to hit hard. But the first year I, I co I, didn't co-sponsor, but there was a, two bills that we blended together from the ma ma um, majority party and the minority party. It was my bill. We created a DNA database my first year of serving and, you know, to convict or exonerate sexual assault, you know, the, the violent offenders, you know, and, and that's because I was willing to fight for it. Because you, you were know, passionate. Just, yeah. And I believe that I can, I just believe I was being guided, you know, just like the name of civil union, you know, that didn't just not brilliant. I, it just came to me, you know, it's, it's, it's a civil rights and responsibilities issue, whether you agree or disagree, it, it's a civil rights responsibility, uh, rights and responsibility issue. And it's a union between two people. So call it civil union. That just came to me. You know, it didn't, it just did. And now I look back and I can see throughout my lifetimes where I was being guided to do things and I wasn't aware that that's what was happening. But you were, you were aware enough that you followed and you, you listened and you complied because that truly was part of your journey. And I, I've, I wouldn't say I complied because I never comply really. Well, <laughs> say that I, that I you, you blindly went that with it. Path. Yeah, I blindly went with it and fought for it. You know, I, I have to tell you this story too. I'd love these stories. When <laughs> I was working for the governor, it was my uh, seventh year in, in working for the governor. And I was the um, director of housing, transportation and homelessness policy and government affairs for the Agency of Human Services. And um, I was ready to look for something different within the governor's organization. And there was um, a deputy position in another uh, department. And I applied and um, I was offered the job, but I was offered the job for the same amount of pay that I was receiving as the, as in the position I was with a much higher profile, with a much more responsibility, with much more, and it was, half of what the male, my male counterpart was receiving at that time. That didn't go well. No, it didn't go well for <laughs> me. <laughs> and I just said, you know, when I was offered the job, the governor didn't call me, but the staff called me and I said, no, I, I can't take, shoot. <laughs> he, he goes, what? 
that. I said, you know, I appreciate the offer, but for that, it doesn't make sense for me to move parallel financially when it's so much more responsibility. It does, it just, like I'm better off to just stay right here. And he goes, let me get this straight. Are you refusing a job offer from the governor? I said, actually, no, I'm refusing a, a I can't remember what I said. I'm just, I, I'm deciding to stay in the position that I am based on the offer that I'm being, I'm being given. And shortly after that, I applied for the job that I received as the CEO of the organization I was in. And I gave my notice. And on a Monday, I gave my notice to the governor. And on that Friday, the governor announced he wasn't running again. Like literally Monday and Friday. So I totally believe I was being guided to not accept the position to seek a, a job outside of state government because I was a single parent. Like I was taking care of everything on my own. So I had to support myself. And when governors switch over, you go you're by no, you're, as an appoint as an appointee, you're no longer guaranteed a job. You're, you're not guaranteed a job anyways, but more than likely you don't have a job. Correct. So, so well, you're seeking. So for that to happen, like there's all kinds of synchronicities that have occurred in my life that I believe is part of my life plan. I had nothing to do with it. It just was. Everything happens for a reason. It always has. It always will. And it's not our place to ask what that reason is. Right. And we may not even realize it when it's happening, but only come to understand in hindsight. Right. After you move through some deeper um, traumas and deeper issues that you need to move through to become successful in, in your heart's calling. Correct. Yeah. So based on all the experiences and the, the path of your journey, do you believe that you're living your life purpose? Absolutely. I'm living my heart's calling for sure. Every minute of every day. You know, I'm working with a teacher and I always believe that we all, we all should have coaches. We all should have people that can help us continue to elevate our existence in this world. Um, and I'm working with a teacher that really has helped me to just be present with what's presenting. And if we're meant to be here in this particular moment, then we're meant to be in this and, and not to allow things to rile us up. Even when it's uncomfortable, you know, it's being presented for a reason. And if it's not working in the way you want it to work, it's because there's something that's or better there waiting for you. And so I am absolutely living my heart's calling, my life purpose. Um, the only thing that I would uh, believe that that is waiting for me is to reach a bigger audience. Like I think what I'm I'm here for is to assist people in shining a light on what's already there for them, and they don't they don't even know it. So everybody could be doing what I'm doing today, not the particular subject area, but everybody can be living their, their life purpose, their highest, in their highest and best. I totally agree with that. Mm. And that's why I'm glad our paths crossed in getting our messages sense. out. Yeah. And I know part of the way you're getting your message out is as a best-selling author. Yeah, I have it. And 
2020, um, I wrote in three books and all three became number one international bestsellers. The one I'm most proud of and the most grateful for is called Shattered Together, A Mother's Journey from Grief to Belief. And it is the book that Logan and I wrote together along with uh, an assistant that helped me uh, with some of the writing of it um, or organizing of the writing of it. Uh, and it is a book that is you know, part memoir, part uh, inspiration and part self-help because at the end of each chapter, there is a um, practice that I include so people can actually start implementing the practice in their life, uh, no matter what they're experiencing. So the book could be used just to deal with stress in your life, or it could be used for the sudden unexpected loss of a loved one. And I know you said you and Logan wrote it together. Mm. And I also know that Logan is with you every day and he makes himself known. He does. So speaking of the book and how he makes himself known, he actually is one of my guides and he gives me messages on a regular basis, like all the time, you know, from the number 33 to, you know, a song coming on the radio to finding pennies in an oven in a freezer, you know, like there's all kinds of messages I can give you. But one particular one specifically around the book was I knew that the cover needed to be just right. And, and the cover um, wasn't coming to me, wasn't coming to me, wasn't And I was working with the designer and everything I would, would share with her, it wasn't coming back the way I would share. And I was starting to get like a little frustrated at times. And one day I actually slammed the computer down, shut my phone off and said, I'm not dealing with this today. Like I need to go for a walk. Um, and so the publisher called me and said, let's work on this, we can do this. Well, long story shorter than it could be is that we're within 10 days of the day the book was supposed to launch and we still didn't have the cover. And most people don't know this with exceptions of people who watch my videos. And so I went to bed that night and said, Logan, I need your help. You know, if you want this cover the way you want it, then I need you to show me exactly what you want so I can describe it to the designer. And I woke up the next morning with the exact cover in my in, in, in my vision, in this cover, I just have a closer one here. So in this cover, there's the heart, there's the, it looks like a, um, a lightning bolt down the middle of the, of the heart. But in fact, that's actually Logan's side profile. And then the heart has shatters around it. And then there's like the light coming down. There's an angel that's hidden over here that you don't even know. There's like the, the hands of source underneath you, underneath the heart. There's layers within the book cover that I didn't even know was there. Like I didn't know, like I knew about the, clearly the, the side profile on the heart was, was important. And the global piece of this was important. But when it came in the mail, when I saw it like in hand, then I felt like, oh my gosh, there's an angel over here. There's the heart, the hands underneath, there's the shining down, there's so much about this that when the people pick up the book, they get different things that's meant for them. So the layers were necessary. You know, all of those layers 
of trying to get the right cover were necessary. And I have chills right now. So I know this is so true that it was necessary for people to be able to pick up and get what they need. And that was from source in Logan. I mean, and there's words in here as I, as I went through it after it was printed. I mean, I wrote everything. I proofed it. I edited, you know, like I went through it all. And afterwards I was like, wow, where did that paragraph come from? And that's Logan, you know, it just like, it, it's just there. Yeah. So this is a joint. I, I rarely say it's my book. I always say our book. Um, if I say my book, it's totally a slip of the tongue, but um, it is our book for sure. Well, cause I think it's, it's your collectively your book because it's your collective journey to knowing and understanding each other better. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the kind of knowing, understanding and revelation that wasn't necessarily possible when he was here physically. Right. And, you know, I could go even further with that, Sarah, you know, a lot of people have a hard time, you know, wrapping their hands around this next statement, I'm going to say is like, is it possible that Logan's purpose here on earth was to be on here earth for a short period of time, so where it could shatter me open, so where I could be of service in the way that we can be of service in the way that we are, so where one life on earth there's so much about his transition that's so important. It's like our, our loved ones never really die. Like they never really die. Their physical presence die. Their physical presence is not here. And so we're there. We have to go th- move through the pain of that grief. And yet their energetic presence is all around us. And if we're willing to work through the pain and eliminate the suffering of the sorrow and the stuff that we get caught up in, the stories we get caught up in and the limiting beliefs, then we can feel their presence. We can ask for their assistance. All of us, not just me, all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if that was his purpose on earth, how much... the greater good of what he is doing right now and his energetic presence is what's important. You know, like that's, I mean, not that it doesn't hurt at times. It still sucks at times. Oh, it does. And, and I can still be grateful that I have his presence with me and I get to, I get to be the face of our business of being able to assist millions of people through their their journeys to shine a light for other people to see they can do it too. Do you believe that he found peace in this phase of his existence that was eluding him when he was here? He was in pain here. He was in pain, you know, um, I, can't comprehend that pain because I wasn't in his body. Mm-hmm. And I know that he had painful experiences. I know he struggled here on earth. I also know his energetic presence is very vibrant. It's gregarious like he was here on earth. He, he's joyful. He's playful. He's smart as hell. Um, he's, he's creative and you know, there's a, there, the energy is free now. And I don't say that for anybody who's contemplating suicide. 
So there's a better way than taking your life. So Absolutely. do not do that. There's a better way. You know, there's a 1-800-2, I, I, we should put the number down, but the suicide hotline is there, but there's, there's a better way. Work through your pain by energetically moving through it. Look, seek out help for people. If you don't like counseling, there's alternatives. You well, know? it's a, it's a permanent solution to a temporary situation. Yeah. Exactly. And so the type of pain, you know, based on those who have survived attempted suicide, they say that they're in so much pain, they just want the pain to end and they can't think straight. And then when they made the, when they make the decision that, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to end it. There's a little bit of peace that comes over them because they know there's an end to the pain. And they also believe based on what I'm told from those who have survived the attempted suicide, that they've caused so much pain to their family that their family would be better off without them. So it's really about the pain is so isolating for them and they're so stuck in their limiting story, their limited story, that they can't see that there might be something more to the story. And that's why this book is so important. That's why the work that I do is so important that you can prevent that pain from getting to that extreme if you actually do the work earlier on. If you deal with the work and do the work when you're just dealing with stress versus, or anxiety, or a little bit of depression, you know, like start there, start the work, step into it, care enough about yourself to do that because it will make it the difference. Can I put you, I'm going to pause for just a second. So I know after Logan transitioned, it was, you had a really hard time and it, it took a lot for you to realize that Logan was still there. Mm. And one of my favorite Logan stories, in addition to going for walks and seeing his number everywhere and things that he liked everywhere, was the story about a bird coming in your window and sitting by his picture. Do you oh, remember? wow. I don't remember the story because there's oh, so many of them. So please tell the story again, Sarah. I wish that I did remember that story. Um, you will. Oh, I no, you... I do. Actually, I do remember it now. I oh, do because yeah. I was in I was in my office. Yeah. And I, and I was thinking about, so when I was the CEO of this contractor's association, I was contemplating on leaving my job on... Um, on uh, leaving the state of Vermont, leaving my husband and, and leaving all my friends, like leaving everybody that I knew and moving to another state. And so I was right in the midst of doing that. And my stomach was all insurance. I think this is the, I can't remember what was happening, but that was, that was what was happening at that time. And literally this bird, I've got pictures on social media, actually, now that I remember this, like, this bird was in my office. No windows were open anywhere. It has air conditioning on. It was in my office and actually flew. There's multiple pictures over everywhere. My office was huge. And there was this bird that, that sat on the edge of Logan's picture and just looked at me. 
And it, it stayed there for a long time. And I actually was able to walk up to the bird. And I'm like, holy tamale, it is time to fly. Is what he, the bird was basically saying, it is time to fly. It is time to move. It is time, it's okay to go. It was pretty fascinating. Is that the, I think that's the, the right connection to the bird being by Logan's picture. Maybe there was another story to that, but I know that that was, was no, I what think was that happening was at that it. time. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And, and just the timing and how it appeared out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then it disappeared too, like gone. Like once, once I got the message, it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, came out of nowhere and then left. <laughs> it's crazy. Quick as as yeah. quick as it showed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's the best piece of advice that you've gotten so far in your life? Or what are some of them that like rank right up there at the top? Well, one of the things I realized what got me involved in Jack Canfield's you know, um, train the trainer program was I went to a one day to greatness where he was in Boston and the formula E plus R equals O hit me like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been doing in my entire life. And I think it's critical to all of us and it's events plus um, our response equals our outcomes, which means how we live our life. So there's events that we have zero control over. Like I have zero, I had zero control over whether my son took his life or not. Zero control over that. As much as I thought I had control and it was all my fault at the beginning, I know today that I had zero control over whether he was going to do that or not. I could only guide and then allow him to live his life. There's all I could do. Um, and my response at first was creating a life of isolation, of pain, of guilt, of shame, of wanting to die too. Like literally I wanted to die as well. I would have loved it at that moment, at that time, if I could have died as well. The only thing that kept me on this earth was my daughter, Ashley. That's the only thing that kept me here. And then, you know, when I woke up to the, these, this, this phrase that came into my head when I was crying on his grave of like, if this happened in your life, then you're meant to do something with it. Now do it. Um, when I woke up to that, I didn't like, wasn't sleeping. I was crying hysterically and just heard that. Something triggered inside me to be like, okay, my response has to be different. In order for my life to feel different, I had to respond differently. And so I started to step out and speak out about suicide and then I started to actually get the, the mental health that I needed. You know, I started to get cognitive thought therapy and then started to work with, with energy healing. And so that shifted how my life was being. And so if you don't like the way your life is right now, then you can't keep doing what you've been doing because you're gonna keep getting what you've been getting. You have to change your response to how you're looking at your life. If you don't like it, do something different. Exactly. That's if you don't been like it, lesson. ask yourself a better question. What's that? If you don't like the answer, ask yourself a better question. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't like the answer, maybe you should just look at it a little deeper. 
Because <laughs> when you change the way you look at things, the things you look yeah. at truly do change. Yeah, that's so true, you know. And the other thing is like, I've just realized through, it's not advice, Sarah. What it is, is the willingness to step through your pain. So lots of times what's causing drug overdoses and alcoholism and prescription chaos and from my perspective um, and overworking and overeating and you know all the things that we we mask our life with what's causing that is the internal fear of actually facing what you're feeling so we're masking our feelings and i am living proof of once you step through those feelings that you're afraid of feeling there's a whole new life out there. So stop re-victimizing yourself. Stop hiding. Stop. Just stop and allow yourself to feel through the feelings because I promise you, you will not get stuck there. And I promise you, it's not as bad as what you think it is. And I promise you, there's so much more to the story than what you can see from that pain or pain point. That is such great advice. And it's so true because you know that what is the expression um success is on outside of the comfort zone yeah yeah and it takes work to get outside of the comfort zone work courage belief trust yeah. and guidance yeah, and for me, I have chills right now because I really, it, what, it, what it is, it takes, um, what was the first word you said? Because that's what really triggered me. It takes- Courage. No, action. it's not courage. What's that? Action, trust, guidance. Those were the end ones, but- Yeah. Strength, it takes strength. They're, oh, so, so really what it comes down to is that if it's comfortable, it's because it's known. And, and if it's comfortable, that's why victims keep going back to the same type of person because some energetically that is comfort. It's not what they want. It's not what they logically want, but what's comfortable, what their, their subconscious is saying, this is comfortable, it's known, it's better than the unknown. It's what they're familiar with. Right. And, and really the unknown is so much better than the known. <laughs> you know, it's, I live my life today as like, if not this, what more? Like how much better? What better can it be? And there's always or betters that are showing up in my life. It's the or betters. It's the miracles that it really every minute, even someone buying me a coffee. I'm like, that's a miracle. That's the or better. I didn't expect a coffee, you know, like it's just beautiful to live in the or betters. I love that as a qualifier or a mantra, Yeah, you know, that it's not, there's no period there. It's or better. Yeah. It's this or better. I'm open to it all. You know, one of my I, I, and the other thing I think is really creating practices. Morning practices are really, really important. Meditation is a big part of my life. Um, Gratitude is a big part of my life. Um, Journaling is a big part of my life. Exercise is a big part of my life. Um, and when I go into meditation, I just say, 
I am open. I am surrendering to receive all that is, is my highest and best so I can have the biggest impact for the least amount of effort and the most amount of joy, love, and abundance. So please show me my way. And you do that every day, right? I do that oftentimes throughout the day, right. every day. Yeah. So one of the things you'd commented was your morning routine or your ritual. What is your morning ritual? And I, I call it a practice because it ebbs and flows at times. And so I love that you call it a ritual because everyone calls it a little bit different. But for me, it's a practice because I'm going with what is presenting and what has been consistent throughout most of these years once I, once I started it was meditation. I, I start my morning usually. This morning I did not confess, but I usually start my morning between 4.30 and 5 in the morning. And I get up, sit down, meditate, um, do some automatic writing. You know, I pray, do some automatic writing. And my prayer is not the church prayer. I have a prayer of just like connecting with source. It can be whatever you choose. If it's church, wonderful. If it's not, wonderful. You know, it's not, I call the higher power source because it just takes any judgment out of it whatsoever. And um, I do automatic writing. I just ask what I need or they want me to know. I connect with my guides. I connect with source and I just start writing. And then I proceed to do my gratitude, my, my um, affirmations, my, I'll, I'll call them, they're affirmations, they're not goals, but there's, there's like, um, certain points of my life that, that are there, that it's been given to me through my meditation. So I I'm aware of it. And then, and then, um, and then I pop, pull three Oracle cards, um, which are daily guidance for me. Um, and then I work out. Then I get ready for the day. I do not touch my phone with the exception of turning on the, the um, biennial, what is it? The bi um, it's the, the waves, biennial waves of, yeah. of activating your brain, the beta waves. I, I do that as well. Yeah. I go to sleep with those. I do both. So at night, I also do a journaling and a meditation and a thank you and a gratitude. And the other thing I've been doing is an evidence journal, which is, I just started this. And that's why I say it kind of ebbs and flows on what you include, what I include and what I don't. Um, an evidence journal, I just keep the journal open during the day of things that are occurring that I didn't expect to occur, that, that I was being guided to do, you know, like not the list of the, your to do's, but the, the, like, oh yeah. So it's kind of was guided to go this way. So the other night I was just encouraged. I don't know. It had just this eagerness to go out to dinner on my own and have a glass of wine. And the place that I went to was full. And then I had another place and I said, oh, I'm just going to go over here, another place. So I went to a wine bar. It's called Foxcroft here in Charlotte. Beautiful. It's not, you know, it's just a very nice place. So I went up to the bar area and I was eating, you know, my vegan food <laughs> and having a glass of wine. And it took a lot of cur it took a lot of movement for me to do that. Like I have not dated in four years. I really have been um, on my 
own and really going inwardly. And now I'm ready to start um, getting out a little more. So it took some courage for me to, to get there, but I did it. So I listened to what my guidance was, is what I'm trying to say. And I ended up with a new client by doing that. You know, I didn't meet That's anybody awesome. other than, yeah, exactly. So my point is when you start to listen, so those are the, those are the evidence journals that like, okay, I listened to my gut and I did it. And what, what's the or betters that occurred from there? I got a new client out of that. How awesome, you know? So that is fabulous. Mm -hmm. You're the first person I ever heard talk about an evidence journal. I like that. Oh, awesome. So I got that from my teacher as well. One of my teachers. That is cool. Yeah. So what's, you know, 2020 was such a crazy year and we seem to be kind of coming out of the craziness and maybe moving back toward what we considered normal. Because mm -hmm. I refuse to accept a new normal in a world of chaos. What's one thing that you learned during the lockdowns last year? Well, that's a really good question. So I don't believe it affected me like it had affected a lot of people in the world. I don't live my life in fear anymore um, because the worst thing in the world at the moment, and I can only think of one other thing that'd be even worse would be something happened to my daughter, but the worst thing in the world that could ever have happened to me happened. Your son dies by suicide and writes a note saying he didn't want you at the service. Like, I, I can't, I can't think of anything worse, and I don't want to. And so, for you know, ten years up until twenty twenty, for the ten years, I really invested in. I live every moment for what it is, and I don't get caught up in the news. I don't get caught up in the turmoil. I don't get caught up in the chaos. And yet the energy still affected me. So I say that because I think it's important to say that when everyone around you, your environment matters. And when everyone around you is living in fear and living in, in limitations and limiting beliefs, then that affects your you. It affects you. You can only protect yourself so much. Um, and so I really was very conscious about getting out in the nature um, really, really very conscious of staying connected. And I consciously connected with people on Zoom. So um, I didn't isolate myself. I didn't get caught up in the fear. And so I'm not sure I can answer that question, Sarah, because I, it didn't affect me like it affected so many others. And what I can say is that there's still chaos. There's still the unknown. There's still the fear of oh my gosh, can I hug someone? Can I not hug someone? Did they get their vaccine? Did they not get their vaccine? You know, do I have to wear a mask? Do I not have to wear a mask? There's still, I will say, this is how it has affected me in, in reintegrating into the, into the world. Because I can get pretty comfortable in my own little space of working and, and doing the things that I do. But going back into the world is, it takes effort to go back into the world. It is actually going to take you to become uncomfortable and, and do it. You know, like that's the key here. It's like, we just got done talking about 
you can be in your comfortable, but nothing's going to change. I'm not going to meet someone in my little office here. <laughs> I'm going to have to go out and do things. And if I'm going to bring someone into my life that I want in my life, you know, I'm not going to find them in my walls here. So I have to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. I just have to. And so you have to push yourself to do something that you don't want to do because it's, it is a good thing. And I don't mean not listening to your heart. I mean, getting rid of your, your chatter in your head and listening to your heart is what I mean. Yeah. Calm the voices in your head so that your, your energy, your spirit can flow through. But I think, well, I, I gave you that example on Saturday night, yep. really like, like I could have been very comfortable to cook some popcorn and have a glass of wine on my own, watch a little bit of Netflix. Could have been very, very comfortable with that. And yet I had the urge to go. And so I knew that I needed to go somewhere. So what, and even though you said you don't think you learned anything, what I took away from your answer is, and maybe this is my lesson from your experience of the lockdowns is how I know that we are all energy and we are all connected. And that how do we protect ourselves from the negative energy and the uncertainty? And that was my challenge last year because there seemed to be an overabundance of negative energy that was whether it was fear or anger or uncertainty, it was unsettling Mm -hmm. and still connecting focusing on your own routine, your own flow, connecting with nature in your way to be able to like propel or reject that type of energy. I was just going to say, it's, it's about not rejecting. It's so funny that you just said that. It's about not rejecting. It's about loving everything just as it is because you have no control over someone else's behavior. You have no control over their fear. What you can do is allow yourself to feel when you can feel you in your body, listen to your body. You can feel it when you're watching the news, when you're walking, scrolling through social media and there's something that irritates you or, or it rubs you the wrong way. Stop doing it. You got to change the behavior in order. If you don't want to feel that way, you need to change what you're doing. And so I don't have a TV in my house. The only time I I look at news is when I'm consciously saying, okay, I'm going to take 10, three minutes to just review what's happening. So where I'm not completely out of the loop. And honestly, most of the time I might be because it doesn't really matter. Like it, that's what was so important to about Logan's transition for me is like the small talk and the craziness doesn't really matter. It is what makes your body feel good. You know, if, and I'm not going out drinking a bottle of tequila does not make your body feel good. <laughs> he no. may feel good in a moment, but doesn't make your body feel good. I'm talking about connect inwardly, go in nature, whether it's in the ocean or in a forest or in a park or even walking on the light rail. You know, I have a train that goes by here hundred times a day and that's exaggerating, but 
and there's a nice path that I get to walk and there's greenery and it's just observing nature, listening to the birds sing, listening to the wind, walk in the rain. You know, one day I, I actually was giddy. I almost danced because I was, I got caught in the rain and it just made me laugh because it's kind of like washing the energy away from me, you know, and, and trust me, if you could see my hair, <laughs> you know, that this doesn't work in the rain. <laughs> I've seen your hair in the rain. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you said rejection wasn't the word that, yeah, that you would use. And I knew that that wasn't the word I wanted, but I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't like grasp the word that I was truly looking for. Yeah. I get that, Sarah. I just wanted to say, that's just not what I would use. I would, you, you were thinking about my word is what was happening. That's how we're connected. I, the word that was there in my head came out of your mouth. But it wasn't the word I wanted. It was, right, right. it was more not letting it affect right. you. So, right. How do you minimize it by the time it gets to you? Yeah. Well, first of all, you live in your own love. You pay attention to your own energy. And if you're around someone that really makes you feel edgy, anxious, you know, down, don't be, you know, it just Please. make a choice. Yeah. Walk make away. a choice to walk away. The other thing is not to reject them. You know, like there's a lot of people that are hurting right now. A lot of people are living in fear. And so how you could actually be of service and be in your loving space, you have to do it with compassion and love from your heart, not say, oh, I'm going to do this with compassion and love in my head. But from your heart is actually, you know, maybe touch them on the shoulder and say, is everything okay? Because you seem a little down today. See people connect with people. And but if you don't want to touch them, but look them in the eye and say, I just feel like something's happening today. Do you want to talk about it? And if they don't, fine. Lots of times people just want to be seen. They just want to know that they matter. That's it. It sounds like something small, but it, it really is the little things in life truly are the big things. And that's one of them yeah. that we all, we are here, we exist, we, we are love, we can be loved. Mm -hmm. And those children inside of us, the little boy or the little girl that has all of those, I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. All of the, um, oh, Insecurities. Insecurities. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I was like apprehensions. Nope. Insecurities. All of those limiting beliefs that have been layered and layered and layered over the years. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to start to melt them away is simply through our eyes, the eyes of a child and saying, I see you. I hear you. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. And do that to yourself. You know, when you feel like you're rejecting parts of you, now I can use weight as an example for myself that, you know, if, if you feel that you're looking at yourself and saying, Oh God, I got to lose 10 pounds, you're rejecting yourself. So what about just holding yourself? Just, just, just energetically holding yourself of just being like, I love you just the way you are. Thank you for protecting me from whatever you're protecting me from. I don't need to be protected anymore. 
I'm not a three-year-old getting shot at anymore. It's okay. That, and just hold yourself, like hold that three-year-old. Literally see yourself holding your three-year-old self. It will bring you to tears at times. Whether it's your three-year-old self, your 16-year-old self, your 25-year-old self, whatever it is, literally hold yourself with love and compassion. Makes and a I bet you, it will it will shift your perspective. Absolutely. All right. One final question. If you could snap your fingers, no effort, no work, nothing, simply snapping your fingers and something would change about today's society, what would it be? More people would hold themselves with love and compassion. They would see them for who they really are, which is light, which is the connection to source. Because if we all saw ourselves for that, the world would be a very different world. It would be a much more beautiful and peaceful place. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful spot to end our conversation today. Cause I know that we could go on for hours and hours and hours. We could. So Kathleen, thank you so much. If somebody wants to find your book shattered together, where would they go? So um, if someone wants to work with me or you're interested on some one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching, so I'm a certified coach as well, which I didn't bother to mention that earlier, but <laughs> um, so I, you can reach me at KathleenL.com, just my full name.com. You can get my book there. You can go to Amazon. There's three different books on Amazon. And I also have a audible um, of Shattered Together that I actually read myself, so. Phenomenal. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you, and Sarah. It's awesome to be with you. Thank you. And if you like what you heard, click the subscribe button, check out our other videos and live your life on your terms. Have a great one.